Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I'm the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to today's show and uh, coming on to the Once Bitten podcast today, joining me is Clark Moody, who is the creator of ClarkMoody.com, the dashboard where you can go and find out so much information about Bitcoin, the price, um, anything, like uh, almost anything about Bitcoin. It's an incredible project that he's put together and we get into um, how he built it, why he built it. Uh, his past and um, his vision, visions, excuse me, for the uh, for the future. Uh, he's completely open for anybody to uh, get in touch with him and uh, recommend anything that they might want on the board. And if he can add it, um, then uh, it's a work in progress. It's always always being updated. So definitely go check it out, ClarkMoody.com, and um, it's one of the, like uh, the best uh, trading screens. Well, not trading screens, uh, dashboards that uh, that I've seen. And I've looked at many in my career, so uh, definitely go check it out. Just before we get into it, the usual shout out to uh, Obi and uh, coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten. Head over to them if you're in the UK, start stacking some sats. Clark and I, when we filmed, uh, filmed this, when we recorded this, um, the Bitcoin price was bouncing around 10,000. We hadn't had the charge up to 12,000 yet. Um, so. You know, make sure you start stacking some sats. Get over to um, coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bit and start your stacking sats journey. And uh, if you're in the US, you know where to head. It's Swan Bitcoin. Those guys are doing amazing work as well. So get over to either of those, depending where you are. Or if you are living all around the world, there are more and more Bitcoin only DCA services being built. Go and check out at Friar Hass. Hit up his Twitter account because he has a list of all of them around the world and you'll be able to find one closest to you. So um, big shout out as well to at Hodler and now uh, for the, the music that is probably playing behind my voice right now. And um, a shill as well for at 21ism. Go check him out. Amazing things are starting to happen. All right, guys, let's get into this. Enjoy this one. I'll see you after the show. And of course, thanks as always for listening. Hey guys, welcome to today's show and joining me today is uh, Clark Moody of uh, ClarkMoody.com, the, the best dashboard in town. If you ever need to know the price or anything else about what's going on in the world of Bitcoin, this is the place to go and that comes from somebody that looked at trading screens for 18 years. So I know when I see a good one and this is excellent. So Clark, welcome to the show. Thank you for spending the time. Glad to be here. Now, uh, Lauren... She is going to ask the first question, and um, leading up to this, I said I'm going to interview Clark, and he's built a dashboard, and you said, what is a dashboard? Daddy. Okay. I'm going to show you. This is the first time she's ever seen it. What do you think of that? Oh, yeah, the dashboard where you buy Bitcoin and it tells you how much Bitcoin you have. Yeah, okay. <laughs> So, do you want to ask Clark uh, about this? 
You just said the question, though. Okay, go on then. Why did you make the dashboard? I wanted a place where I could have everything about Bitcoin on one screen with blinking, flashing lights and a bunch of numbers and no frills. And so that's what I built. What do you think? Do you think, can, can you understand any of it? Like, uh, is that a bit overwhelming for a nine-year-old to look at? Or is that pretty cool? Well, I'm happy that you put on the flashy lights because that's cool. <laughs> it's all about the blinky lights. <laughs> and um, can you go back to um, everything? Because what's it? She and mm-hmm. Secretarian. Where, where are you looking? Da, da, da. Chain security. What's that? There you go. Clark, first question. What's chain security? So that's a rabbit hole. Uh, <laughs> it's how much computational power is dedicated to securing Bitcoin against attack. So you see there, what it says here is hash rate uh, for the last 90 days, chain work, chain rewrite days, annual mining revenue. Um, there's a lot of numbers there, huh? There's more that I can count. Yeah, it probably doesn't make too much sense yet, but hopefully... In the next 10 years or so, I'll be able to guide you through some of this stuff. I hope so. <laughs> Once you understand every number on the dashboard, you will have a pretty good start to understanding Bitcoin. Oh, and I hope and I hope not as well, because that seems like a lot of learning. I, learn, I hate learning. <laughs> oh, you love learning. You just don't know it. Exactly. Well, do you want to say goodnight to Clark? Um, yeah, goodnight. Yeah, cool. Good night. Good night. Have a good chat. I know you're going to be in here for 50 hours, though, so good luck. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. I might have a few more questions to, uh, to ask Clark about this. Um, it truly is, like, you know, like I said at the beginning of the show, like one of the, the best things, um, like trading dashboards I've seen. And, um, you know, coming from somebody that uh, has spent a lot of time in that um, arena, what was, I mean, did you come from? From a financial background, and had you seen dashboards like this before, or was this just something that you were like, "This is what I need"? So, well, this is my uh, fourth or fifth kind of product in the Bitcoin space, however you want to count it. Um, I've got an engineering background, aerospace engineering, and so when you're doing robotic stuff, for instance, you like to have lots of nice numbers on the screen to tell you the health of the robot. Uh, my Bitcoin stuff goes back to Mt. Gox data. Uh, 2011, you know, I hand-rolled a chart, hand-rolled the order book. And so it was about getting information density. Um, and so all, you know, all of my products I build for myself uh, first and stare at it for three or four months on one monitor before I even think about releasing it to the public. And so prior to this one, I have a thing called tickers that's just a ton of different markets as a tick chart, maximum time span, six hours. And it's just all the individual trades coming through for all the markets for Bitcoin USD and futures all on one chart. So you can see how the markets are moving together, see if one is diverging a lot. Say uh, a couple of years back, we had that, that big market order on Bitstamp plunged the Bitstamp market away which pulled the BitMEX perpetual uh, pulled the BitMEX index down, which pulled the swaps down, which like pulled everything because of a slow execution on uh, Bitstamp. So you're able to kind of see that diverging from all the other markets on that on that product. 
Um, and then all of that leading into the dashboard where it's just uh, two things. So during the four cores of 2017, uh, you're going to four or five different websites to check on what is the minor signaling level for SegWit? What is the node distribution for uh, different, you know, uh, Bitcoin Unlimited, this and that? Uh, what is, um, what are the UASF nodes looking like? You know, there were four or five different websites that you're hitting and they have different designs. There are different levels of, you know, you have to refresh or they're real time. And I was thinking like, all I care about is one number from that whole site. And so why not just have a dense thing where it's just a number and a label all on one screen so you don't have to, to go to these different sites. And then the other thing was li listening to the Bitcoin and Markets podcast around the same time, um, Ansel would call off three or four different numbers. He's, let's, let's give a rundown of here's the hash rate. Here's the next difficulty adjustment. Here's where we are with, you know, he, had, he had one called... Uh, chain value density, which was blockchain size in, in gigabytes divided by market cap in billions. So you get like a, you get like a value per chain. Cause we were talking about the chain size at the time, you know, so he, he would compare the Bitcoin cash chain size, chain value density to the Bitcoin. So he'd say, you know, one megabyte of disk space represents X millions of dollars of value for your market cap. Anyway, all that stuff. So I, I would, you know, you know, he's he's viewing a bunch of tabs to to read off those things. So why not put it all in the same place? Um, so yeah. Wow. So you 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 come from an engineering background, and you you mentioned robots. So can we mm -hmm. go down that rabbit hole? Like, what what were you doing? Can you give us a little insight? Yeah, sure. So um, I was in a dynamics and controls uh, field of study, which is part of aerospace engineering having to do with keeping uh, airplanes, rockets, satellites on course to where you want them to go. So we had a laboratory doing some space robotics stuff. And with space robotics, uh, you've got not only the position of the spacecraft, but the attitude, so where it's pointing. Uh, with aircraft, you have yaw, pitch, and roll. Same thing for a spacecraft and we would do experiments with um, motion planning and say like a rendezvous of two spacecrafts with, with sensors on board, detecting the other one and then trying to drive uh, this spacecraft close and dock with the, the target. Uh, you know, so it's a guidance navigation and control problem. Yeah. A lot of, a uh, lot of C code, low level, real-time operating systems, sensors, lots of cool stuff. Wow. So you are like, um, you know, a classic um, rocket kind of a scientist. To, rocket to science. Play. That's right. Yeah. It, it is rocket science. <laughs> it is rocket science. Yeah. And so does it blow your mind then what's going on with Starlink? Or is that to you like that was inevitable that was going to happen? Or are you now just like like the rest of us looking at this and thinking... How are they doing this? How are they sending up like 60 satellites at a time? They're all exiting perfectly. They're all orbiting perfectly. And then the rocket just comes and lands itself back on Earth. I mean, so we've for had, me, that blows my mind. Yeah. But for you, somebody that was like, you know, a rocket scientist, what's, what's the kind of take? 
So we've had satellite constellations for a long time. Uh, GPS is a constellation. It's not as, as low to the Earth. It's a little bit farther away. Um, so that's the same kind of story where the GPS satellites are following each other within the same orbit. There's a few different orbital planes and a few satellites per orbit. So they're chasing one another around and around kind of on the same track. And that's what Starlink is doing as well, I think. Um, that's why you'll see some of the videos online of, you know, after Starlink launches and they're all really close together, it's just dot after dot coming over the horizon, all in this same orbit. Uh, so that part, and we've launched multiple satellites from one rocket before as well. Uh, so that's not that's not the part that impresses me. The, the booster landing is what impresses me. It's just incredible. I mean... It's an it's an it's a an inverted pendulum. So it'd be like you've got a you've got the broom, you know, with the bristles pointed up, and you're you're like balancing it on your fingertip. Except that's like a fountain of flame, right? A rocket exhaust coming out, you know. And you're riding you're riding the torch down, and it's just absolutely incredible. A uh, lot of really cool sensing and control stuff that has to go into that, and that's that's really the stuff I was doing in grad school, like how do you get from where you are to where you want to go? And, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's awesome. So super impressive, mad props, to Elon and giant engineering team behind it. Um, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it truly is. Um, and listeners have probably heard me talk about this before, but it just does blow my mind. And we love taking the kids out at like nighttime when they're going over and watching them. Um, I think it's so inspiring for, I mean, well, my son has already just uh, this week, I've been helping him put together a presentation about it that he's going to present to his online schoolmates. Um, and I think it's brilliant that, the, you know, this generation are being inspired by this new technology and, and going out at night to look at the stars can do nothing but nurture big picture thinking, I don't think, like, you know, I think, excuse me, um, and, and watching something like that take place is crazy. So if we kind of, you know, I do want to try and link this to Bitcoin. Um, so what they are doing, you know, that is going to, as far as I'm aware, uh, bring very um, high-speed internet, uh, low-latency speed to, to the world, to us as a planet. What does that mean in your mind for like the adoption of Bitcoin and making that easier to use across the globe? Well, I mean, Bitcoin needs con connectivity. Um, it doesn't need a ton to go on the transaction sending side, but to run a full node, you need bandwidth. Um, so you have Blockstream Satellite, for instance, that's that's beaming it down, um, but you need a dish for that. So if if it's if it's able to give you almost Wi-Fi type connectivity, it's still you know 120 miles. 130 miles to the to the satellites. Maybe they're higher than that. Um, that's a little bit farther than to your nearest cell tower. So you may still need some sort of antenna. But I mean, the effect can only be can only be uh, good. I feel like for that bandwidth question for Bitcoin, um, the uh, you know Bitcoin is awesome. But I think the more important thing is potentially having uncensored internet for the whole world. Uh, I mean, we've just seen Ethiopia shut down their internet after a high-profile assassination. 
And, you, you know, it just shows you that a government is paranoid and scared of its own people if it's turning off free flow of information. So uh, you could see large amounts of, of turmoil, uh, but I think, that, I think that truth ultimately is better than living under you know, state-imposed lies about the nature of the world, the nature of the state. So I think it could be a positive for humanity as a whole, basically. Um, and then Bitcoin along with that, you'll never learn about Bitcoin if you don't have free, free flow of information as well. And there's lots of you know, really cool stuff with the offline uh, you know, mesh networks and, and smuggling transactions in and out um, things like that, you know, point to point radio, uh, cool stuff like that. But it's way easier if everybody just, if Bitcoin comes alongside their same channel, they get their email from, and they don't have a separate device, you know, or a separate, uh, um, yes. You have, you know, if you don't have to smuggle out your transactions, if you can just send them like you would send an email, it's a lot more, uh, capable of having lots of adoption. Yeah, we'd be able to reach a lot more people with the Bitcoin memes. That'd be uh, <laughs> don't forget the memes. Nice. Don't forget the memes. <laughs> you gotta have the memes. So, what what's your rabbit hole story? I mean, how did you come from like this kind of uh, rocket science background um, to discovering Bitcoin, and ultimately, you know, you, you you work in the space now. This this is. This is your life. This is what you're you're doing. You, you've you've moved away from the engineering, uh, in a sense, and um, concentrating on this. I I think this is a pretty fascinating story. What what led you here? Yeah, the origin is uh, I'm sitting in the lab in grad school, and my lab mate has run the Bitcoin software on his user account and is trying to generate, uh, trying to mine with the CPU. So this is like late February of 2011. So this is you could still barely do it, um, and so the computer is running full tilt. And I'm like, "What's going on?" Open up the task manager, and there's this thing, this Bitcoin.exe. You know, so shout out James, thank you. Uh, and I <laughs> sent him an email. What is this? He said, "Don't worry about it." Uh, but then I just went to Google and found the found the uh, Bitcoin.org. Got the white paper, um, found Mt. Gox, which had real-time market data. So this is this is where I got. This was my entry was the market data side because I had been doing some algorithmic trading type investigations on my own, hacking on hacking on strategies and stuff. Not making any money, but here comes this other data source of free real-time data from Mt. Gox. Um, and so I said, well, I need to. I need to visualize this data, and that was kind of my entry. And I've I've been on the market data side of things uh, for the most part ever since. The dashboard does a lot of stuff with the blockchain, um, but the market data stuff has been has dominated my story. Um, and it wasn't really until a few years later that I really dove down the philosophical rabbit hole of Bitcoin. And what? Brought you into that rabbit hole, the philosophical side. Was it uh, like an article or uh, listening to a podcast, or was it just the the slow creep that Bitcoin has over one? It was some. Uh, it was some conversations with some of the folks in the space in real time, 
had a couple days together and um, just started going down the rabbit hole on Rothbardianism and voluntarism and all of that. And, you know, I started, I started going down the, say, Tom Woods podcast and Rothbard audiobooks and all of that. And, uh, yeah, went all, went all the way down the, the libertarian rabbit hole over the next couple of years. Um, Coming from you, where? Like, you know, what, what was like the, the socioeconomic background that you come from? I was just kind of middle class. Um, my dad was entrepreneurial, let's say, you know, so um, that was, I don't, I don't want to say in my blood, but it's, you know, uh, launching your own site and, and getting that out there. I was building websites since eighth grade. So, you know, really lame playing MIDI, you know, MIDI music and like ripped off images that I liked from around the web and just stuck them on my own site, stuff like that. So I've always been tinkering with, with web. Um, and so just putting something out there uh, seemed like the right thing to do, you know, and um, the first, the first product that I launched was uh, called RTBTC, which is a great name. And it was actually a trading platform on the web. So you could trade Mt. Gox or Bitstamp, but the same interface, so your same charts, your same uh, configuration, different layouts. Um, because the, the problem I was solving was that order entry and market data on each of the respective exchange sites was terrible. Uh, you're, you're manually refreshing Mt. Gox to get the new order book, you know. So, and I had it real time on my site. Did that provide like uh, arbitrage? opportunities for some savvy traders that might be able to like capture a misprice between uh, the two exchanges? Not, not really. You would have to do it quick. Uh, you couldn't, it was, it was a one market view. So you couldn't say have an order ticket for two different markets and like send them at the same time. Um, maybe more on that later, but uh, you yeah. couldn't do that with my original, my original product. So Okay, cool. So you, you mentioned um, going down the rabbit hole, um, reading Rothbard and um, entering the world of uh, libertarianism. What was the political kind of landscape that you grew up in? And, you know, if it wasn't libertarianism, when you, when you found that and looked at it, how much of a smack in the face was that? Yeah, I came from kind of a default, uh, say, GOP Republican type stance with a heavy emphasis on, hey, the Constitution is pretty cool. And if we could just get to that, you know, like, hey, it's right there. Why are we doing all this stuff that's not in the Constitution? Um, so I was already kind of like a, you know, natural rights, uh, rule of law type guy. And so I think the last piece was just, uh, well, war was big time. I never really considered how terrible war is. And then um, just, you know, well, maybe the Constitution got us here, <laughs> you know, the, the Lysander Spooner uh, assertion that the Constitution didn't really prevent this thing from happening where we are. And he was writing in the late 1800s or late 1700s. I don't know, maybe early 1800s. Yeah. So he'd, he'd be rolling in his grave too. Uh, yeah. So that's where I started. It was kind of a, kind of a personal responsibility you know, uh, kind of stuff. And then maybe the, maybe the other connection was morality and legality are two different concepts and morality, you know, should come from within. If you're religious, it comes from your religion, but morality shouldn't come from the state because is it really moral? 
is it does it count as moral if you are just following something that you're forced to do, right? Oh, hey, give you know, give ten percent of your of your earnings to charity, or else, <laughs> is that a charitable act, right? <laughs> so, it's kind of se- separating legality and morality is one of the big steps you take with libertarianism. And was that like? Um in the early days, and you're reading this, and you, you kind of, I mean, Bitcoin holds a mirror up to everything we've ever believed, right? Mm-hmm. This is, a, And we all have a different reaction to certain things. Um, and they're all, bitter, they're all bitter pills to swallow, pretty much. Because when, you know, nobody likes to realize that they've potentially been conned their whole life. <laughs> Everybody's and, been lying to you your whole life. Yeah. yeah, about so many different things, and um, it's it's really tough. And I think this is one of the reasons, you know, that the barrier to entry for Bitcoin is is so high uh, for people. You know, when they when they first come into the space, the first thing they don't want to believe is the money isn't broken. The money is fine, um, and it's just the complete opposite to that. So. Yeah, I'd just be interested to know, like, um, you know, what kind of thought processes you were going through when, um, I mean, was that the thing for you, like, um, like, kind of challenging your your political beliefs, or was was there something else that was really nagging at you? I mean, I think the so the the economic half of of libertarianism, the Austrian school, that's the part that. Uh, really emphasizes how great Bitcoin is um, with business cycle theory and things like that. Um, the politics stuff, it wasn't really, I don't think I really had a struggle. I think it was just like the sacred cows kind of one another just got slain and and then just, you know, uh, the conventional wisdom is really convenient and you kind of just default to it. But all of the little conventional wisdom just so explanations for everything are pretty much wrong. Um, so now it, it does get tiresome, say, saying being with family uh, holiday after holiday, and you're like, "Hey, all the things you believe about the way the world works, it's wrong. It's wrong." Uh, See, so you, you have a few years of like needing to chill out, you know. Um, and instead of instead of arguing, just say, "Hey, if you're interested, read this book. You know, come back to me. You know, next next Christmas or whatever." Uh, yeah. And what so is that know. book? What, what's, the, what's the book that you'd hand out like uh, in those situations? Because um, I know exactly what you mean. It's um, it's tough. Yeah, you know. So I think that uh, for a new liberty is kind of the kind of the big uh, the big red pill for a lot of people. That was my first foray was for a new liberty from Rothbard. And then I've had one family member who really jived on the history of economic thought uh, from Rothbard. So he's got the two-part, the two-part history of economic thought, which really, once you dig into that, it's just every single idea about money and everything has been tried sometime in the past, and it didn't work. You know, so. I saw something in the news about, you know, maybe a year ago about the Swiss wanting to do a specific thing with how they issued money. And I was thinking, oh, that was that was certain people in 1830 tried it in Germany or whatever, and it didn't work, you know, or the inflationists or the modern monetary theory people now. It's like, hey, 
uh, it's the same old thing and it wrecks economies and it's always been that way. Um, so of course he has a massive takedown of Marx and a takedown of Adam Smith, which kind of, <laughs> it's like a twofer, uh, but that, you know, depending on, depending on, where, on what you're, uh, who, who you're trying to reach, you can go from the politics side or from the economic side. And they both, they both blend into one another. Uh, if you go any, any distance down the rabbit hole. For new people coming in and um, wondering what the hell we're talking about and these names that that keep popping up, uh, like Rothbard or Mises, um, Hayek and others, and then want to know, like, what is even Austrian economics? Like, what what the hell is that? It's like, uh, you know, did I, did I practice a whole different, like, way of living in Austria? Like, you know, what's going on? Um, it seems like a really, really basic question, but I, I think it's something that um, that really needs kind of laying out because it's as if it's been hidden from us. You know, it's, again, it's like the, one of these lies that you have to face. Um, how have we not heard of these people? And if you could sum it up in like a sentence, um, like if Lauren asked, you know, what is Austrian economics? Do you, do, have you managed to like kind of water that down? I'd say it's a, it's named after, it's named Austrian because the founders were Austrians. So that's one sentence. The second sentence is, it has to do with human action. So how humans respond to incentives rather than say, let's look at data and figure out what's going on with data so we can predict. I'd say maybe that's a kind of a fundamental shift. I haven't really done too much uh, apologetics for the Austrian school you know, from first principles, but uh, one of the things you said, how come we've never heard about it? So... Anatomy of the State, another Rothbard book, has the description of the alliance between throne and altar. So throughout history, the, the chief always needed the priests, and the priests always needed the chief. So the chief says, hey, priests, you tell the people that either I am God or God put me on the throne, and so to disobey or to... Uh, to say that someone else should be there or say that what, I, what I'm telling you isn't the truth is heresy and your immortal soul is in danger from disobeying, you know, the, the, the king or the chief or, you know, whoever it is. And then in return, the chief says, we cannot practice any other religion but the one true religion that my priests, you know, the established church the established witch doctor, whoever it is, um, you have this symbiosis. And uh, the priests were replaced with the intellectual class sometime during the, the progressive movement, you know, scientific management of the economy. And so instead of, instead of uh, the established church, you have the established intelligentsia. You have blue ribbon panels. You have academia that enjoys a very close relationship with ideologically with the state, you know, state funding um, for your initiatives and programs and whatnot. And then, you know, you've got the Fed, which employs uh, a large percentage of all economists, you know, PhDs, um, and they don't recognize the uh, uh, moral hazard there, ironically, the incentive mismatch. And so then economists within the administration of a government who tell that government, hey, your best course of action is to do nothing and, by the way, stop doing what you're doing 
and by the way, give up the power that you've got, those people don't make it into the administration. Similar to the guy who is in the ancient tribe that says, hey, maybe we shouldn't throw people into the lava to sacrifice to the volcano god. Guess who's next for human sacrifice, right? It's like that guy, you know, because he's upsetting the status quo and, 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 and power doesn't want to hear, hey, you shouldn't be doing what you're doing and you should stop doing what you're already doing and, and you should roll back. So it's kind of a, there are no Austrian economists within positions of power because power doesn't want them and maybe they don't want to be there, you know? And so that's why you never hear about it. Um, Keynes, Keynes and, 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 you know, traditional economics is all about, you have the crash. How do you, how do you respond to the crash? And Austrians say, why do we have the crash? We have the crash because we have the boom. How do you avoid the boom? You know, so it, it's, it's actually, you need to be responsible. Uh, don't take the first hit of the drug. <laughs> so you don't need it, an injection after the crash, right? You don't have a crash if you never took the drug in the first place. So I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the alliance of throne and altars is a way to explain why you've never heard of this stuff. Yeah, it's a great analogy. Um, I'd never, I've never heard it um, or read about it being uh, described in that way. And um, when you were telling me that, I was just uh, you know, thinking immediately uh, King Henry VIII and um, you know the Catholic Church, and it's like uh, perfect. Um, that's exactly what was happening, right? Yeah, to disobey the king is to just disobey God. You know, <laughs> that's convenient, right? Yeah, crazy. Okay, well, let's talk. Um, let's talk about the dashboard uh, because it is um, an amazing piece of kit. And if nobody's been, you've got to get over to uh, ClarkMoody.com. Well, no, excuse me, Bitcoin.ClarkMoody.com and uh, take a look at this dashboard, you have got so much information going on here. It's just, <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't have looked like this when you first, how's it grown over the years? Like, you know, when you first launched it, what, how did it look then uh, compared to how it looks now? It's about three times as much data, I would say. Right. It really launched with very bare minimum stuff about just the price and then uh, minimal blockchain stuff, you know, so current height, supply percentage, um, maybe some stuff about transactions, and then maybe some stuff about uh, mining in the mempool, but really not too much. The, the having, the, actually the having. Uh, so one of the big things that, that, that I put in early on was, okay, how do we estimate this having date? And so I, I saw, I, I always kept seeing the same date come from people. Oh, the having is coming up on whatever date it was. And I was thinking, you know, blocks are coming in a lot faster. Difficulty still adjusting up. This was all through the spring. I was thinking we've got to have a better way of putting that in there. So that's one of the ones I wanted to automate just so I could have a look at an estimate. Um, but it's grown, it's grown big time from there. And then uh, uh, an economics module. So inflation, the monetary base inflation was early on. That's um, yeah. I'm just looking at the halving date uh, as you have it now. It's my. It's going to be my wife's birthday. In oh, random, that. <laughs> yeah, look at that. I'm going to have to go and stack some stats after this. <laughs> so, um, like as it grew, how do you like? Are you just like sitting there, sitting there, and all of a sudden you're like, I need to have this kind of 
information or do people come to you with like how do you like pick out like the the next thing to add well when i when i started i just brainstormed a huge a huge you know to-do list with tons of stuff on it and then every now and then someone would come into it you know my twitter dms hey it'd be cool if you had this and some of those i'm like yeah that's great and i do it and some of those i'm like i'll put it on my to-do list uh I've had one of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm on your to-do list. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, so, you know, and there's still, I've got a few a few branches in the code that are still in work. Stuff I'm trying to get in. Um, I want to get in the Bitcoin market cap relative to gold, for instance. The gold, you know, gold's estimated market cap. I think that's a hopefully will be more relevant and larger in the future. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, you know, what can I do with what can I do with what I've got now? So if you have the block height, just the block height, you have lots of different data from that. And then with a Bitcoin full node, you can grab fee estimates and things like that. So you can get a lot from the RPC interface. So, so a few of these metrics are just coming straight from a full node RPC. Um, beyond that, once you actually create a block database and get block times for all the blocks and get uh, subsidy amounts, fee amounts, output volumes, then that opens up a whole other series of modules and, and fields and things. So you can take one piece of data and build out more and more um, uh, as you get an additional, an additional data source. One of the things that I would like to do with this is be able to have a quick response to stuff that's going on. Uh, so back when Mt. Gox was crashing and about to go bankrupt, the Bitcoin price on Mt. Gox was much, much higher than on other exchanges because their fiat rails were closed. So the only way to get value out of the platform is to buy Bitcoin and send it out because their banking had been had been shut down at that point. So you could have something like a field on here, Mt. Gox Premium, and it would be reading 34, 35, 50%. Um, similar to that, I have the GPTC Premium you know, on the, mm -hmm. for the traditional note. Um, coming soon, the uh, QBTC from the Canadian uh, offering as well. Um, so it would be really nice to have a quick, you know, something's going on. I can whip together that data source and push it to the push it to everybody looking at the dashboard without uh, you know too much too much fuss. Like the modules are pretty pretty uh, easy to deploy new ones. That was one of the kind of the design goals early on. So the, it's funny you bring up the GBTC premium because that was like top of the list of me to ask you about that and how I mean what does it mean? How is it calculated? Um, and for me, <clears throat> to give you some feedback of somebody that's looking at it, um, to me, I, I believe that means, and to correct me if I'm wrong, could well be, I just assume that if you're buying GBTC, um, which is a fund for those people that are listening, it's um, that's, that's the ticker symbol for Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, and you can buy that on the OTC markets. Um, and here I'm looking at the dashboard, and it... Currently, it says 10.3% premium. I believe that if I buy GBTC um, through the fund, I'm going to be spending 10.3% more per Bitcoin than if I were just buying Bitcoin through an exchange. But 
I would like to a little bit more information, you know, why is the premium there? How is that calculated? And um, yeah, anything else you want to add? Yeah, so that's that's a an essentially correct interpretation. GPTC, the price of GPTC isn't, you know, around ten thousand. So we're at ninety two hundred about right now. So ten percent on that. It's not it's not just over ten thousand right now per share of GPTC. Rather, they have a certain number of Bitcoin and then a price per share. And that price per share represent, and then a total number of shares outstanding. So you multiply total number of shares times price per shares, and that's the value of the fund. Then you divide through by the number of Bitcoins that they're holding, and that's the equivalent price per Bitcoin. And so that's the, that's the premium uh, that you're paying. So I don't even know what the actual share price is because I don't put it on here. But say it's ten bucks a share, and they've got, you know, a billion shares or whatever, and they have a hundred thousand bitcoins. You you know you could do the math. So I'm getting the data from their uh, public public facing website. It's 15 minutes delayed. So during the day, if things are moving, it'll be the premium will be weird. But once the market closes, it it settles back. Um, yeah, as to why the premium exists, I think it's convenience. Uh, you can type GBTC into your existing traditional markets brokerage, and there it is. You know, so um, and then maybe it has to do with how fast Grayscale can bring online new Bitcoin, or you know, some other internal dynamics to that business as to why the premium also exists. Like maybe they can't issue additional shares against that premium to bring it back down. So, uh, yeah. Do you have any idea, like, what's the range been since this has been up? Like, right now it's 10.3%. Do you know the low and high of, of that premium? I don't. I, I, I seem to recall that in, in huge bubble times, it's been like 50% or whatever. It's like really high, um, maybe, maybe a couple of years back. And then I seem to recall around 15%. So this 10 is starting to, this is starting to settle down. But if you look at the market, I mean, Bitcoin has been essentially flat for it feels like forever, but it's you know a couple of weeks. It's like three years in Bitcoin. Um, so maybe maybe the interest just isn't there, uh, and that convenience, speculative demand, isn't there. So that premium is is uh, is kind of deflating. Now, this is kind of like the the ex finance guy in me thinking that this is a whole new market to speculate on now. Uh, are people trading this? Are they trading like GPTC premium, for example? Uh, is, that, is that a market yet? Because if it uh, isn't, it will be, I'm sure. The, the way you capture the premium is you, you send Bitcoin. Uh, what is it? I think you send Bitcoin to Grayscale and then you get an equivalent number of shares at this value. And then you have a six-month used to be a year, but like a six-month lockup before you can liquidate those shares. So if that premium still holds throughout that period, then you can capture the premium, but it's you know probably accredited investors only and things like that. Um, I think that's how you capture the, capture the premium. I foresee a futures market on that premium. 
in the next three to five years, there will be someone on Wall Street will start that, and they will start trading futures contracts on GBTC Premium, uh, you know, for the fifteenth of each month sort of thing going forward, and huge volume going into it. Um, unless unless there's an ETF or something, and GPTC becomes much less desirable, and the premium collapses to zero um, or, or negligible. Um, but even if you do have a premium, I mean, you can lever up and capture, you know. 30 basis points of difference, uh, long-term capital management style. Yeah. (laughs) And just for the guy on the street that's like, you know, maybe thinking here like, all right, well, if it's a low premium now, if I just buy GBTC in my, you know, trading account, Charles Schwab or whatever fidelity they have, um, depending on where they are in the world, if that premium then blows out to say like 30 or 50%, am I right in thinking if they were then to sell out of what they were holding, are they capturing the premium if they then just go straight to an exchange and exchange for Bitcoin and take those Bitcoin off the exchange? I, I, I believe in that case, you would have more Bitcoin than when you started. Yeah, I, I think so. So I haven't, I haven't gone down the GBTC, GBTC rabbit hole too far except to implement it here. There's a lot of people with an opinion on why it's, you know, why it's, premium like this and how you capture it. But um, uh, it is interesting. It's very interesting. And so the reason why I've got it here, because a lot of people like to know what it is, you know, so there you go. Um, I've probably heard it mentioned on podcast when it was up in the giant premium. I think the ETH, the ETH premium is really high uh, for the, for Grayscale's Ethereum trust. So I'm not going to put that on my bit, my Bitcoin dashboard, but uh, you can go do your own research and uh, find out. How big that premium is. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, do you have a favorite here? Or have, have we already covered it? Like, uh, what, what's your go-to? If you, if you, what are you tracking? Um, I really like looking at the Samurai Whirlpool mm-hmm. stuff, uh, especially comparing the size of the Samurai unspent, which means post, you know, post-mix capacity, the size of that value relative to the Lightning Network capacity and the liquid sidechain capacity. So you have these three kind of capacities of Bitcoin allocated to these uh, other kind of, you know, Samurai still on chain, but it's kind of its own little um, little network of, of spendable kind of more private Bitcoin. Um, so as we're speaking here, that number is 1151 BTC. Lightning Network, at least public visible capacity, is at 975, according to, to a node that I've got. And then sidechain, liquid sidechain is like 2480. So it's significant Bitcoin has come in even after their recent uh, uh, snafu with the uh, two of three uh, multi-sig fallback address. But uh, so I, I like to look at those. I also like to look at the realized realized monetary inflation and forward monetary inflation because that's that's the basis of the stock to flow um, the soundness of the currency and all that um, and that's one of the first ones I put in so those are kind of the yeah. things I I go toward yeah you're you're way deeper into this than than myself that's for sure like looking at uh, cross referring referring a samurai with uh, the other two things, you you know, you may as well have been speaking a different language and I've been looking at Bitcoin for, and markets for a long time. So this is definitely 
Ah, that's the rocket scientist in you. Now, um, do, are there, is there a way to set up um, alerts on it? Uh, are traders using this? Um, like if something blows out, if a metric that they're following that they think is going to move the market, if that blows out, is there a ping on their phone or anything like that? No, no alerts. screwed you up? <laughs> no alerts, no time history. It's, it's, a, it's a moment in time, then it's forever gone. Um, so no charts, no alerts. Uh, I do have a favorites function where you can click on I love that. different fields and put them all up in your favorites box. There's probably 10 different ways I could go on the front end to, you know, hide whole modules, reorg you know, reorganize the modules, have different layouts of modules, you know. Um, some of these things you could break out into whole other, like the number of fields that I've hidden is, is quite a few that you could break out into whole other sub-tabs. Um, Samurai is one of those that I was, as I was looking into it, I was like, man, you know, they have three different mixing pool sizes. And so you could have stats on each of those pools and just five or six different stats on each of those things. So you could, you could break out any one of these into a lot of different, a lot of different, uh, like its own board really. Um, but alerts would be fun. I don't know. That's a whole other, that's a whole other can of worms. Unless it was just, unless it was just browser side where it's like, you're not going to get an SMS. You're not going to get an email. The browser's going to ding, and like that's it. If you close it, it doesn't ding. I might launch that, but I, I don't know. <laughs> Again, on the to-do list, right? My other, my other request on the DM to you um, was different currencies. Um, just personally, I, I like to see, like, I'd love a snapshot of what is it against the sterling? What is it against the euro? And many other traders out there would definitely be able to arbitrage that kind of stuff because... Um, you know, there are opportunities there. I'm not thinking that deep, but um, yeah, how much of a pain in the ass is that to to add? The uh, so right now, my tickers website has a, a few non USD markets that are translated into a USD equivalent price using FX rates, and so you can see if there's a big offset. So when I first launched the tickers, all of the uh, all of the South Korean markets were at a big premium or, or the CNY markets were at a big premium. So there's this big gap between a bunch of USD markets altogether and then a bunch of these uh, Asian markets altogether. So you can kind of capture that in real time on, on the tickers page uh, as it is. The dashboard, I want to do, I want to do against gold and against Oil and maybe S and P definitely a correlations. I want a correlations box. That's like what's the rolling correlation with gold, S and P, oil, maybe dollar index. You know, something like that. But value, value in other currencies. Um, it'd be cool to have a toggle where like all the dollar things switch to euro or something. But again, listing them out, you could have a whole box with ten different. You know, national. You know national currencies on it. Or a, a non-correlation box, as uh, many Bitcoiners will probably uh, <laughs> be. I was not happy with the S&P Bitcoin correlation through the spring. <laughs> it would have been nice if it had decoupled uh, soon. Soon, we'll, we'll get there. Or is that just the underlying correlation to fiat? I think it's, it's uh, Bitcoin is part of a speculative asset 
in, in, in portfolios and it's getting, it's getting bought and sold with, with equities, um, as part of, as part of big portfolios. And it really, you know, tracking the intraday moves of the S and P 500 index means that you've got players with a good amount of money and it's just part of a basket that they're getting in and out of. There's no other reason for the everyday person to be like, oh, the S&P just dropped 2%. I'll dump, I'll dump a little bit, a little bit of Bitcoin right then during the trading day. You know, so it's it's definitely driven by some sort of institutional portfolio allocation. Um, and definitely seen as part of a, a more speculative part of the portfolio. Hmm. So if more of those guys come in, as we are seeing with like Paul Tudor Jones and, and people like that, is that not going to tie us closer then? Is that not going to just drag Bitcoin closer to being correlated to the S&P, for example? Well, And we're further away from the decoupling than we might have thought? So how do we get there? We get there through large institutional allocations. So if a $100 billion fund allocates 1%, they've got to buy a billion dollars of Bitcoin. Well, that's not going to be unnoticed by the market. So the intraday moves of Bitcoin relative to S&P are going to be relatively small compared to institutional money getting in over a few months or years. The, the, the price level is going to have to go much, much higher. So this is kind of the uh, big institutions aren't going to be day trading it. So that'll be the big signal, the big trend. And then it still may stay correlated to the S&P, but that'll be noise, intraday noise relative to another, you know, multi, multi-factor rise in, in, in the price. Um, as you know, if, 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 if 500 billion needs to get allocated to Bitcoin, well, the whole market cap is one, 170 right now. I mean, you know, you, you do the math, right? Yeah, yes. The, the price level has to be a lot higher to absorb that kind of institutional liquidity in the first place. Mm-hmm. Intraday moves are going to be not that that huge uh, swing. Which brings me back again to like the GBTC premium or like uh, the, the other one you mentioned uh, on the Canadian one. Because if these guys are going to come in, this is probably going to be the first place they hit, right? Or perhaps someone like River. Um, or, I don't know, maybe you have better information, uh, you know, working for an exchange. Um, I know you have an OTC desk and they're obviously dealing with with big um, investors. How many of these guys, I just don't see them taking self-custody. I, I, you know, They can't. Right. So they have to use a vehicle like GBTC and that's what they're comfortable with doing. And if they want to chop out of it and capture that premium, because that's where ultimately, I think, as we discussed earlier, I think this is where the market's going. Um, when Wall Street does does wake up and, and come in in earnest. If we see that GBTC premium ticking up and up and up, is that, for me, it would be a signal, a red flag that, wow, we've got Wall Street coming in now. And this is something to watch very, very closely because we might get a very big and a very quick volatile swing to the upside in the, you know, the BTC dollar price. Yeah, so there are multiple ways that institutions can get exposure to Bitcoin. Um, you know, the CME has the futures products, um, and those could probably take a lot more size than GBTC, I, I would assume. Um, 
And then, you know, not being able to self-custody um, makes sense, you know, the, historically, right? You don't want your fund manager also having the gold or whatever, and they can like skip town. So custodianship uh, is offered by a few exchanges. And so you just buy it and then switch it into like custodian mode as an internal exchange account transfer. And it's in the, it's in the custodian box. And so you're all covered legally. Uh, uh, so, so you could have an actual custodied position with, you know, on-chain UTXOs rather than a GPTC kind of synthetic type thing or a futures product, or you may have a mix of all, of all of them. I mean, institutions are, are asking this question, right? Like, how do I, how do I get exposure? Can I, can I pass it? You know, first, can I put it by my, my regulatory, like, is it even legal? And then getting it past the investment board, you know, that's the second. Right. Uh, <laughs> yes. You have to roll. You have to roll the fud dice. I've got my fud dice here. Um, you oh, roll give the it a fud roll. dice. Give yeah. it a roll. Let's go. High fees. Well, let's see. Uh, <laughs> you can get it through in a day in one sat. Okay, so that's that's fud. Small blocks. Well, we had the we had the block size wars, and we're still going strong. So that's two rolls. Um, those are a little more esoteric, but. Yeah. I had no, I had no idea this thing even existed. Is, is, where'd you get this from? Is this uh... shout, shout out Nick Carter? Got the Castle Island logo on there. Um, yeah, I, I can just read through. You know, so Dev incentives, yeah. right? Energy waste, big one. Small blocks, twenty-one million cap. Well, we need more money with the growing economy. You know, kind of the old inflationist thing. Deflation is right next to that. No KYC, so ooh, it's it's evil. You know, evil private money, selfish mining, high fees. Not Turing complete, so you can't do smart contracts on it. It's volatile, and then it's got toxic fans. So you know, Bitcoin toxicity is the. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's well, there's a version two. I don't have version two. It was blue. I, I was going to say one. how many how many faces does version two have? I mean, how many faces can a dice have? It, like, what's the what's the maximum? I think it's got twelve faces, and version two also has twelve. So you could, <laughs> you could have combo. So it's a double fight. throw. Yeah, throw two and uh, yeah. No, it's great though. It's just it's it's the perfect it's a perfect meme like in physical form. It's just the the fud never dies. There will always be someone saying Bitcoin boils the oceans. I I, I found on the mailing list literally uh, within within two weeks of Satoshi announcing the software, there was a guy on the mailing list. Hey, this will boil the oceans. Like you know, so it it just it, it will never die. It's per, perma fud. Um, you just have to be able to institutional fund managers. If you need if you need to talk. Talk to me, talk to, to someone else. We'll set you straight with your investment committee. You've got to add the FUD to the dashboard, man. There's got to be uh, that, that, you know, and you a roll, roll FUD, you click, and yeah. it like spins. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like a <laughs> casino style. And then you get taken off to like the best articles that, that bust that FUD or something. I'm sure people would uh, crowdsource that for you. Uh, so let's talk about... Um, what you're doing now, and uh, you know, uh, uh, because this is obviously this is unpaid work as well, right? There, there's a donate button here that I'm going to hit after um, after this and uh, send you some sats, hopefully. Um, Thank you. This is this is how it works, right? This is you built this kind of for the community and to help people follow it, understand it, get deeper into the rabbit holes. Um, 
for free, man. Like this is this is a cra- how many hours of your life have you put into not only building this but thinking about it? You know. Well, I mean, it. it it's a, yeah, it's a side project. It's a uh, you know, I write code during the day and I write code for my side project. So it's just quintessential kind of nerd stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean. Isn't it anti-Austrian to do something for free, by the way? Like, uh, <laughs> Libertarians are just selfish time. and only care about themselves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, we, have no, we have no inherent goodness in our hearts toward our fellow man. No, I think that uh, you know, having better data could help the community. Um, having, having a way to say, yeah, you know, you, you know, here's some FUD that you're coming in on. And I'm like, well, the data says that in the last 90 days, X. You know, transaction fees are X or I don't have block sizes on here yet, but I'll, I'll get that at some point. Um, yeah, I mean, oh, look at Bitcoin's inflation. The last the last 12 months, Bitcoin inflated 3.4 money supply, period, 3.4%. USD inflated, what, 100% or something? I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that it, it's better data, um, helps people stay informed. And it's just tr- trying to turn it into an actual full-time gig. I don't even know if I don't even know if that's there. And and uh, I don't know. I, well, is, there's a clear link to who you're working for now. Um, yeah. With with what you've built, and I'm sure when th- I'm sure that's how you landed the gig. Could you talk about that? Like um, what you're doing now, and and how how that come to be? Yeah. So I'm working at Kraken now. Um, on the CryptoWatch product, which is their market data visualization uh, tool. You can view whatever markets you want. Um, so this is actually, uh, we were actually acquired at a startup called the Picks and Shovels Company. And we were acquired uh, last summer. So been been there over a year now. And um, that was, uh, the product we built was called Interchange, which was more of an accounting product for institutions. So it's just getting all of their, all the crazy transaction types that they're doing and trying to account for it, you know, get it all in one place. And so um, uh, we were acquired by Kraken last year and uh, I'm on the CryptoWatch team and we're actually, so bringing it all the way full circle, we are, uh, going to launch a desktop trading platform. So a desktop front end for CryptoWatch, and it'll be kind of multi-monitor, multi-chart um, out of the box. And it's been really, really fun to be building that so far. So we're using, we're not using like an Electron wrapper on a website. We're using Rust programming language, and we are, it's like, Super fast, super responsive, high speed. So, um, yeah, stay tuned for that. Um, we're gonna we're gonna try to release that before the end of the summer, and um, it'll be like kind of a full circle. Like I had I had on my to do list for RTBTC in 2013. I said to do list, you know, desktop, multi window, uh, uh, and so it's it's all it's all kind of coming full circle for me. So you know. Really, really happy with what we're doing there. Very cool. And if, um, well, I mean, what's it like going to 
you know, being bought out and and joining like a, a big firm like that. That that's kind of that's either it's either a nightmare or the dream. That there, there, there's nothing really in between. I, I don't know. Maybe you can put me right. What? How, how did that go down? Well, I mean, it's uh, it's a great place to work. It's it's fully remote. So you know, my whole my whole Bitcoin career, I've been fully remote. So I'm just sitting, you know. Same same room in my house, same screens, and it's just different, you know, different uh, people on Slack and different people on video, right? Um, but I think uh, of of the major of the major exchange players, you know, Kraken is most aligned with my uh, worldview, and uh, it's a great place to work. Um, uh, yeah, and so so joining, you know. Just like any any larger company, you've got small teams within a big company. So you have a few people that you interact with, and um, it you know you, you're not walking through floors and floors of engineers on your way to your desk. So it's your whole your whole experience of the company is just the few the few small uh, groups you interact with online. So a really large company can feel small, um, which has been very cool. And what's um, clearly your Bitcoin maximalist, um, you know, come from the Austrian side, um, but Kraken obviously, you know, that they, they, they offer many different opportunities and, and coins for people to um, to go look at. Um, altcoin space is definitely something we view with a sideward glance. Um, how do we? How does that sit? You know, how, how does? Do you have to build out products around those kind of coins as well, or you know, what, what's your take on that? So when we built Interchange, we were doing accounting for um, accounting for all all trades, all assets, and so you're just you know you're scraping Exchange APIs. Hey, give me give me their trades, and you put them in put them in buckets. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of a uh, you can see the performance of these things over time, and so it's kind of the the phase that everybody goes through early on where you you dabble. So I think if it, you know th- this is part of this is part of the process. Sure, I don't I don't like those I don't like <laughs> most of the other currencies and stuff going on out there. But in my day to day, I'm building I'm building visualizations for market data. You know, so it's uh, it could be any data on that chart, and I just want to make the best chart uh, that I've got. Our CEO Jesse has had a I think he had I think he answered this question in an interview one time by saying like we know where we want to get. And this is the path we've chosen uh, to get there. So I think I think that's kind of a you know you don't have to you don't have to you don't have to sacrifice everything you believe in uh, to work for an exchange. Let's say because there's lots of there's lots of things that they do. You know, lots of different products and lots of different ways to interact with the space. Yep, and you know, a happy customer by the way. Um, Great was one of the um, the easiest ways I. Found, you know, whenever it was four or five years ago, um, coming into the space as a complete noob and uh, used it. Um, yeah, it's great. I mean, there are so many different ways now that people can get can get going and can um, find themselves, uh, you know, set up very very quickly. Um, I remember back in the day. I don't even think Sterling was accepted on Kraken. When I first started looking, um, that's how difficult it was, right? This is um, something that um, 
excites me now for people that are coming, you know, into the space now, very green, very new. It's like, well, how do I buy it? And it's like, oh, God, so much easier, so much easier than, than it was back in the day. And, mm-hmm. you know, you have all these different um, opportunities, like you can start dollar cost averaging in, um, coming in very, very slowly and doing a riskier, well, not risk-free, but in a much lower, riskier kind of environment. So, yeah, it's cool. Hi, Clark. If, you're you're in the UK, right? Um, well, I'm originally from the UK. I currently uh, base myself in France, and phew, 15 years prior to that, I was um, in Singapore. So I've not lived in the UK for a while, but uh, yeah. So you you may have access to the Kraken Futures you know, we made the crypto facilities acquisition, so they've got all the all the futures contracts and stuff that aren't you know, no U.S. customer uh, kind of stuff. Really, uh, but yeah, yeah. So it's an interesting, yeah, interesting what uh, what U.S. customers don't have access to. And, wh- and why is that? Is, is the UK just a little bit behind on the regulatory scene um, than like the U.S.? I don't. Maybe they're ahead. You know, giving. Well, in look at look at uh, online gambling, sports betting, and things like that. Um, mm. uh, U.S. just has a different history of of you know, I guess paternalism on you know what our people, what we feel like our people are too irresponsible to to figure out for themselves. Uh, you know, um, so a lot you know a lot of the uh, go back to institutions. You know, they'll they're they're able to set up foreign entities and, and stuff like that to be able to trade any of the any of the products anywhere in the world. But the whole US US persons thing just shuts down so much uh, other than like kind of the spot the spot market for US customers. And the like the accredited investor thing as well is just such a like a huge barrier for to entry for anybody that wants to invest in like a private company or like like uh, the entrepreneur that they they believe in. It's just crazy. I don't get it. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you should put your money with the multinational, multi-billion-dollar company versus the mom and pop shop down the street that you know, you know who runs it, and you, yeah. So, yep, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so I want to ask, mate, like you know, you code for your day job, you code in your spare time. What the hell do you do with your downtime? Like, you know, what floats your boat? What's uh, what are you watching on TV? Or what's your you're probably like skydiving or something in your spare time? Like, <laughs> uh, family and uh, you know, disc golf from time to time. You ever play disc golf? Only once. Yeah, I'm but my golfer. daughter Lauren, who you met, she wanted to mm-hmm. uh, design a, a Bitcoin frisbee. Which uh, there you go. That that'll be a great thing for you, for you disc golfers, huh? Yeah, yeah. Other than that, you know, just. Stuff around the house, gardening, trying to grow, trying to grow some spicy peppers, but I so far haven't been able to this year for some reason. <laughs> I'm sure you figure it out. If you can land rockets, you can you can grow chili peppers. <laughs> of course, it's it's gotten uh, very hot. I think it's like 46 C here today. So yeah, wow, that's uh, yeah. yeah, that's different level. Yeah. Well, final question that um, I ask at the end of each show: If you had one red pill to give one last red pill to give to someone, uh, who would that person be and why? I don't know. I, maybe, maybe it would be like some finance minister at some second tier country to say, hey, allocate some of this in your central bank quietly and then announce it. Because I think, I think that the central bank 
allocation to Bitcoin is a big domino that pushes a lot of other dominoes. And the first tier G20 central banks are all too entrenched. So it's going to have to be some kind of upstart, up and comer country with a little bit less to lose, a little bit less reputation, but wants to wants to go for it. I, it'd probably be something like that. Or maybe someone in charge of oil exports, you know, like, hey, denominate your, your exported oil in Bitcoin. Some kind of big geopolitical type Bitcoin move, I think, is I think is what we what we'll see at some point soon. And it'd be cool if that happened sooner. And and the shallow minds listening to this will be thinking, oh yeah, that's just because you want the price to go up. But how do you see that affecting society as a whole when when a central bank or like a, a, a country does something like that? Well, it lends a huge amount of legitimacy, uh, so more people would consider it. And the price does go up, which supports um, more interest in the space, right? The number go up meme brings people in. And then, you know, ultimately, the more people that are in Bitcoin, the more people that are opting out of fiat currency, it just drains away that that lever that the state has over society. And, and uh, I feel like fiat money is is keeping us back as a civilization and that Bitcoin could, you know, ush, you know like take us to the stars, basically, like... Like we're being we're being uh, uh, synthetically shackled, you know. We, there's no reason why, uh, other than fiat money, um, that a lot of malaise and things is happening in the economy. We could be so much further down the road with the sound money. Have you ever thought about where we could be actually if, like, we had not come off the gold standard? Like, what would, um, you know, this is a classic Austrian economic thing, isn't it? You know, you, you, you can't see the unseen or you, you, don't, you don't even look or you don't even question. Um, we think we have it perfectly good now, right? But what if we had not come off the sound, the money, like the gold standard? What do you think? I mean, there was one, there was one paper that some people actually tried to quantify the effect of regulation on the economy, which is a different, different animal, but kind of the same tone. Um, and they estimated that GDP would be double what it is. Uh, so uh, exponential growth, right? Like you go from 3% growth to 2% growth. And now instead of your GDP doubling in X number of years, it's now doubling in X plus 20 or X plus 30 years. So those small percentages in growth over a couple decades just mean a wildly different standard of living for, for society. Um, the, the, the fiat money certainly uh, causes all sorts of perverse incentives. Uh, you want people to save money. You want people to be able to save money for retirement, you know, like buy a house and just buy it instead of going into debt. Um, you can save your hard-earned money and not have to gamble it on the market, expose it to all sorts of risk. Um, just it just changes the mindset of the whole of the whole society, and so I think I think we could be a lot better off, uh, not only economically, like there's, there's just short term thinking. If you if you have a longer time horizon, lower time preference, all sorts of decisions in your life get made differently. Um, if you value time very highly, then you might spend more time with family and less time you know, doing, doing a hobby or wasting time with, uh, with something even, you know, it's harmful to you. So, 
you know, just just a shift in thinking is is one of the biggest things that Bitcoin can impart to people. How do I value time and how do I value each each bit of time that I've got? Because it's all you've got. It certainly is. It certainly is. And uh, I don't know whether to take that as a hint to wrap up the interview. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about time. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I will let you go, Clark. I know you've got... Uh, much work to be doing. Um, you've got to get through that to-do list and uh, everything you know you're doing on your own uh, dashboard and everything you're doing at Kraken as well. I'm sure you've had and raising a family, spending time uh, with them. So I really appreciate you know you taking the time out and uh, spending this time and um, talking through everything that you've done and you're doing for the space. And uh, yeah, really, um, thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Clark Moody, the um, creator of ClarkMoody.com, the dashboard, which hopefully now you have uh, a much deeper understanding of. Um, please go and check it out. And uh, you can support Clark there. You can just donate very quickly with some sats and uh, send him across uh, a few sats just to um, keep the project alive and rolling. And um, a little hat tip towards his hard work. Thanks so much to Clark for coming on and sharing so much. Um, you know, talking about his past, you know, <laughs> it is rocket science and that's what he was doing, um, which is pretty crazy. The, the kind of uh, brain power that is coming into to the Bitcoin space, I think we, um, we all see where this is headed with so much of, with so many of these kind of people coming in and building up products around uh, their, their skill set and adapting that to a, a Bitcoin future can only mean one thing, and I think we're all here for that. So um, big thanks to Clark. Really um, incredible what he's doing. If you've got any suggestions for the dashboard, anything you'd like to see on there, just hit him up on Twitter and um, just uh, like slide into his DMs and, and suggest something. Um, if you're listening back, Clark, I'm, I've just been thinking maybe we could get the... Um, the, the color dot S2F, the latest uh, the latest dot from the S2F um, graph or something. That that might be a nice little sell uh, because as soon as the <laughs> as soon as that turns orange, I think um, that would be a, a nice little alert for, for people to look at. Uh, for those that believe in the S2F model, uh, for those that don't, you know, it's still a bit of fun. Who knows? Um, Plan B's work, for what it's worth, I, I think is uh, is brilliant, and I uh, love watching it. Um, Hope it remains true to, um, to to what he's predicted, but who knows? But uh, yeah, back to Clark. Thanks so much for coming on and for sharing, um, talking about Kraken, talking about um, you know so many other things that um, could affect Bitcoin. The GBTC um, conversation was very interesting. Um, following the, the premium on that, something I'm still trying to get my head around. Um, so any comments and suggestions around that if you're in markets uh, and you're looking at that closely let us know your thoughts because I definitely think people are going to start trading that arbitrage um, quite aggressively uh, so it'd be interesting to know if anyone's building that out and watching that so please get in touch um, before we sign off Make sure you start stacking some sats. Get over to coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten if you are in the UK or have access to the UK banking system. Um, if you're in the US, swanbitcoin.com forward slash once bitten. 
Um, those guys, they will look after you um, from every state of the US except New York. Uh, and if you're around the world, make sure, go and find Hass on Twitter and check out his list of dollar cost average services that are going to be um, your closest option. Take care, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you on Twitter. And um, yeah, until the next show, take it easy. Bye-bye.